Greg Baxley, I think, did a great job. Uh, he had a lot of knowledge about stunts. He comes from this family of stuntmen. His dad was on the picture. His, I think two of his brothers were on the movie. I believe his son was on the picture. Everywhere I turned, there's another Baxley stunt guy. What he did was he made the budget go a long way so that some of the stunts you see in the movie and some of the explosions are actually quite formidable even by today's standards because they're very close to the actors. His thing was to keep the actors in the shot. This is before CGI, remember? So we have like all the main actors in the same shot as a huge explosion. Welcome back to a brand new, exciting episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. We have a special event for you today. Brad, do you want to introduce our guest who's going to help us talk about this little gem from the 90s? Yes, we have a real world director on our show today. We have Mike Mort. He is the director of Chuck Steele. He's coming back. He's actually going to help us review a film today. I'm so excited. Welcome back, Mike. It, it, it's just a pleasure to talk to you again. We had we had a blast talking about Chuck Steele a few months ago, which was one of our favorite finds of last year. Well, I think you gave me the the, the, the best uh, review anyone could ever have. So I, I thought I better <laughs> come back on the show. <laughs> no, it was fun. I, I, I was so surprised too. Not really surprised. I kind of expected it because the more people that discovered Chuck Steele uh, because it had gotten released on the digital format and a fantastic Blu-ray edition over the summer. I noticed it was showing up on a best of um, 2022 list, especially I, I was surprised how many, I don't know, articles came out, Screen Rant, et cetera, that were talking about like Chuck Steele being one of the best animated films, not just of 2022, but in just a recent history. You had to be happy about those kind of reviews. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a strange thing with the film. Generally, we've had you know a good response from the people who've seen it, but but it's still quite a hidden film um, because our distribution has been you know just a nightmare. Because uh, I think well, I think we talked about this when we heard the problems we had on distribution. Yeah. But um, yeah, in general, you know, it's been received quite well. There are there are people who don't like it, but uh, mainly because of common for the comedy reasons. You know, the, mm -hmm. everything's very PC now, so certain things don't fly anymore with some people. So, but but generally, yeah, I mean, people do appreciate the work that went into it and the the um, you know the stop motion animation at the very least. So uh, I, I know I'm very proud of how the film looks and how it fits in, and and I've seen it on a few lists now with um, next to some big. Films, you know, but next to next to Mad God, which is uh, I know Phil Phil Tip, but uh, an inspiration for me growing up. So to be in a list with him is 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 a cool uh, cool thing to happen. That's awesome. Well, you and I have uh, exchanged emails and and pictures of our poster collection, and one particular movie came up that we knew we were going to talk about, and and we went on a limb to kind of go, hey, you you want to talk about this film with us? And it was 1990s Dark Angel. Now, for U.S. audiences, like when I saw it in the theater, I saw it as I Come in Peace. But I think everywhere else internationally, it was it was listed and released as Dark Angel. 
Yeah, that's what it was, Dark Angel over here. And I, I saw it in the cinema when it came out. Um, what year was it? What year was the release? 1990. Was it 90? Oh. Yeah. It feels like something straight from the 80s. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was 88, but yeah, you're probably right, 90. Yeah, so, I mean, it came up, it was sort of after Die Hard and after Predator. It was kind of like a mashup of those ideas, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I remember seeing it in the cinema, probably on a double bill with something, because uh, I just used to, you know, go and see so many films back then in the cinema. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember when it came out, it kind of fell by the wayside because we because it was kind of it was just another film you know it didn't really right. have any push or anything but i think over the over the years it's uh there's a certain style to it that's pure to me 80s i know it's in 1990 but it's just got this look it's just got this vibe to it even in the the font from the, on the titles you know everything <laughs> yeah. very brushed steel and everything. <laughs> no, absolutely. So before we talk about the film, one of the things we like to do, especially for people who come on for the first time to kind of talk about movies is we kind of put them through a, a Rorschach test and just say, okay, we got five questions for you. And it's for a way, it, it's just really a way for people to kind of get um, your taste in films and where you uh, lie on, on certain topics. So we, you, you didn't have to study. There's there's no right or wrong answer. Um, but I'm going to start with the first one. So Brad and I are going to take turns on this. So the very first one, easiest question, softball question. What is your favorite movie of all time? I always say Evil Dead 2 because oh. that, that's the film that I remember having the most fun with uh, when I was in my formative years as a teenager, you know. So things stick with you for various reasons. And I, um, as a kid, I was I always used to love love monster movies, Ray Harryhausen films and that kind of thing, you know, uh, Doug McClure monster movies, anything that was kind of fun, but with special effects in. And um, when Evil Dead 2 came out, I I, I wasn't into horror at all. I, I was I was a bit of a wuss when it came to watching horror movies. And <laughs> I used to see the the box in the in the in the video store and um I'd look on the back and there were monsters in it. And I was like, oh, I'm really tempted to, to watch this because there's monsters in it. But but it's an 18 and, <laughs> and I was too chicken to watch it. But I put it off for a while and then I eventually watched it. I must have been, I don't know, 14 maybe. And it was just like, wow, this is just, it was just so much fun. And it was so over the top and the gore and everything. And uh, yeah, so I think that I, I think that had a major influence on how I viewed filmmaking as well just because it was so different to how most films were looking, you know, yeah. the camera styles and everything. So I would, I always say Evil Dead 2 is my favorite film because it's, I always found it the most entertaining film, I think of my memories, you know? Well, it's, it sounds like it's like a core inspiration for you in terms of even the films that you made. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Chuck Steele is like a, is a, a an Ash surrogate, isn't he? You know, he's yeah, kind yeah. Of pretty much uh, that trope, you know? So uh, although he's not sort of intentionally that he was kind of more of a mashup of all sorts of different uh, inspirations from that era, but yeah, definitely Bruce Campbell vibes in there. Oh, absolutely. All right, Brad, you got the next one. Yeah. If Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, this is always Eddie, a tough one because Eddie Deason. <laughs> okay. Why? Why Eddie Deason? No, I don't. I don't know. Uh, uh, um, 
I've, that's something I've never thought about. So that's really hard. Um, what a boring film that would be. <laughs> yeah, let's leave it at Eddie Deason. <laughs> okay. Well, I, okay, I got this one. So um, especially in this day and age, you have a ton of franchises, pop culture, et cetera. So what TV show, film, franchise, comic book, or just pop culture franchise in general are people just obsessed with, but you don't get the point of, or or you just don't understand why it's so popular? Of, of cu- current things, you mean? Yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think. I don't watch a lot of the new, newer stuff because they all kind of fall into that category to a certain extent with me. You know, I'm always watching all the movies, but uh, just trying to think of something specific. Um what what are some of the recent things that are out now that that that, that is huge? Oh goodness, you've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, anything that falls into you know DC. I mean, comic book I, I franchises do, are huge. I, I do wa- I, I do watch the superhero movies, and there's some of them I like, and some of them I don't. You know, and I kind of I, and I know which ones I would revisit, but like some of the DC ones, I think are better than the Marvel ones. It's, it's just a bit more rewatchability to them. I think the Marvel ones have become a little bit too samey, you know, um, but you could say that about the DC ones as well. And I know I'm not the target audience and probably for that, for those types of movies, because I'm, I'm a bit older now, but, uh, um, I think there's a lot of, um, long form series, uh, that are on, you know, Netflix or, um, well, all, all the streaming shows. I, I never really get into the the long shows. I just I just don't have the patience. What did I watch the other day? I I've, I binge watched um, oh, Re- uh, uh, not Reacher. What's the other one? Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Oh, the Amazon series. Yeah, I, and I, the reason I don't get into these shows is because I always binge watch them, and then I regret it. I spend eight hours watching something. And I'm like, oh, why did I watch that? And it, and it it doesn't go anywhere. You know, you just go, well. I'm, I'm never going to remember any of that or it was just wasted time. But I think there's almost too much content out there. Sometimes you feel like you, you have to watch something, you know, you'd have to sit through it just to get, just to have an opinion on it. But I'm getting less and less like that. I can quite easily not watch things now. Um, I, I am the same way. My, my wife will binge watch a show. It is very rare for us to sit down and watch TV shows together anymore. Because she she will want to watch. Well, let's just knock this out in like four or five hours. I'll do maybe max two episodes, and then I want to you know step away from it. Yeah. Because I I find myself when I binge watch, I always miss or f- kind of forget what was going on in the middle. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's just not enjoyable for me. So it's, it takes me forever to just get through TV shows at this at this point, especially anything that's on Netflix, et cetera. Yeah, I've just bought the uh, physical media box sets of a bunch of old 80s shows like uh, The A-Team and things like that. So oh, nice. That's where, my, that's where my head's at, you know. But um, modern stuff, There's uh, there was something in particular that everyone was talking about recently. I did watch Stranger Things. I quite enjoyed that. But mm-hmm. um, there's something that I can't remember. You can't even remember the name now. But there was something that was floating around. Everyone was talking about it, and I just had no interest in it. But I... I'm so disinterested in it. I can't even remember it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get the same way. Um, Brad had to, I guess he's having some zoom problems. Uh, we record on. So I'll ask the next question while he gets signed back in. So 
If you're stranded on a desert island and can only have access to one of these action stars film libraries, which one is it that you're going to choose? So here's, here's your selections. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, or Chuck Norris. Uh, that would be Stallone. Definitely. Just, I just think they're more, I'm just a big fan of his stuff in general. Um, so I can watch those films repeatedly, you know, most of them. Uh, I, I think that would be my choice too. I, I, it would probably come down to Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Although man, Jean-Claude, I didn't, I always knew he had some gems in there, but now that I've gone back to revisit like hard target again, since Kino put that 4k, um, he's, he's got a few in there that are just so much fun to watch and fantastic. But I think in terms of if, if I can only pick one franchise, cause I'm on a desert Island, it probably would be Stallone. I, I, I really liked, um, Van Damme's uh, sudden death as well. That was a good one. Oh yeah. That's I mean, a, that was such a good, it's a diehard ripoff, of course, but it's, and I think it started out as a spoof, didn't it? It started out as, um, I, I think was, so. Um, because there are still some scenes in it, which you go, what, the, why is this in this? Film? <laughs> this is, uh, he's fighting the, uh, the, the mascot and, um, you know, and she's in a, in wearing a big penguin outfit and it's just so ridiculous, but. Powers, played, Powers Booth played. is so good in that film too. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a diehard ripoff, but what makes those, uh, which makes those movies so good is you got to have a really good villain. I mean, nobody's yeah. going to beat Alan Rickman, but Powers Booth did a really good job with sudden death. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a great line in that film where he just goes, um, life's just a shit box full of ironies. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one that they, I think just announced is getting a 4k release from Kino, um, in the next yeah. few months. So yeah. did you did you see the remake? The remake? Yeah, there was one made recently called Welcome to Sudden Death. Oh, I don't think I saw the remake. And it's got uh, Michael Jai White in it as as the main character. It's the same story. It's it's just a fireman in a in Oh my a, gosh. It's, yeah. It's no. made it's made for like no money and it's just I don't know why they did it. It doesn't make any sense, but oh. it's worth a look, but you will it's not a patch on the, on the, on the main one. Okay. I, I, now I got to check it out. I did. I didn't know about that. And I lo- I really like Michael J. White. So I'm in, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a comedy as well. I think they play it even sillier. So, Oh, yeah. okay. Well, Brad, you got the last question then. Yeah. What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everybody? Well, when I looked at your site where you, you'd had a list of, you know, bomb su- su- supposed bombs, I was like, I love all of these, <laughs> but you know, big trouble in little China probably is up there high, you know, because you've listed that as a, as a bomb, but it's, it, it, we all know it's how good it is. And, um, but it's like a lot of these films, they, they don't get the chance when they come out, some, something goes wrong in the mix and, um, well, they're not appreciated at the time. Like, so I think that happens to Carpenter a lot though, doesn't it? With his, his films. Yeah. I, I wonder like, as many times as big trouble in little China, cause that, that would probably be my favorite film of all time. That bomb that I would recommend same way. Yeah. But my kids love it, et cetera. I'm just wondering if all of these new additions and stuff that come out, if it's the same people buying it over again, or is it finding a new audience, you know, each generation? Cause I, I still think that movie should just be talked about m- way more than it is even in, you know, today. Yeah. You might, you might well be right. You know, it's uh, cause we all, if there is a, a, sli- a slightly different release coming out with new artwork or whatever, we, <laughs> we're always tempted. 
Yeah, I, I mean, even when Shout Factory was like, well, here's this special edition and it comes with a small record. I'm like, what? I'm buying it again. Um, steel book, regular case. When the 4K comes out, I'm sure there'll be two or three different versions of that. I'll, I'll double down again. Yeah, I, I've managed to resist steel books, uh, that, that whole side of things. I'm like, no, I bought a couple just because that's how they were released, but mm-hmm. I'm not chasing steel books. It's just like, no, it's too much money. <laughs> it's a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. <laughs> yeah. And 4K as well. I'm, I'm I'm on the brink of getting to 4K, but I'm really trying not to because I've got so many Blu-rays and it's like, I know what I'll do. I'll just start buying the same bloody films, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. It's exactly what we're doing <laughs> every day. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. We, we get to know you a little bit more about your film choices, et cetera. So I'm excited to talk about today's film, 1990s, I Come in Peace. Uh, what's funny is we just uh, a couple of weeks ago had talked about Stone Cold from 1991 and spent a lot of time on Craig R. Baxley. But what we generally do is before we get into the people behind the camera and in front of the camera, we, we dissect this thing a little bit and say, okay, when it came out, what was it up against and, and why could it have possibly bombed? So Brad, you want to take us like in a time machine real quick and say, all right, when, when I, when I come in peace came out or dark angel, what was going on at that time period? Yeah. So you, you said, uh, 1990. So that's September 28th of 1990 with a reported budget of $7 million. Um, it's box office run. It makes four point three four million dollars. That's all domestic, which is uh, obviously in the U.S. Um, opening weekend, it makes one point nine million dollars. That's good enough for sixth place, Ooh. and it gets beat out by films like Pacific Heights, Goodfellas, <laughs> Ghosts, Postcards from the Edge, and Narrow Margin. Uh, so, Narrow Margin's a Gene Hackman. That that's a really good yeah. thriller. It's like a thriller on a chain a train, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the, with the good Jerry Goldsmith score, I think on that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Oh, because the woman sees like a murder or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, I need to go back and revisit it's, that. It's now. really okay. underrated. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, critically, uh, I come in peace, aka Dark Angel, sits at a thirty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes in a forty-six percent. With the audience, that's with twenty five hundred reviews from the audience. Um, so Troy, wrong. the internet is so wrong. <laughs> it is so wrong. It is so. That's why we can't have nice things. But the Christians, our favorite Christian website, MovieGuide.org, has given us a review of this. And Mike, if you're not aware, MovieGuide is a website that reviews films not for their quality, but for our little Christian eyes, content wise. Um, and they they rate things plus four, which is the most holy thing in the world, and <laughs> minus four, which is like you're going to hell. I come in peace comes in at a minus three. Ooh. So we have language, we have heavy violence, heavy sex, light nudity, moderates, content negative three, excessive sex, violence, immorality, and or worldview problems. Troy. Oh, they they don't like that pagan worldview they at don't. all. Aliens uh, and everything. Yeah. So when they do a lot of retrospective reviews, it's a little bit shorter, but I will pick out some of my favorite passages, if you will, from their uh, <laughs> review. 24 profanities and 69 obscenities. Nice. Uh, graphic murder and violence, female nudity, substance abuse, and an impaling. So if I gave you one sentence, Troy, and I said 24 profanities and 69 obscenities, graphic murder and violence, female nudity, substance abuse, and an impaling. 
You're like, let's watch that movie, right? I think Quentin Tarantino directed it. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, only 24 profanities. That's oh, that's enough. true. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Here's uh, my favorite uh, little passage I come up with. It is interesting to note that the Bible teaches an overcoming one stronger than you is quite different from the film's representation. In fact, no one can enter a man, a strong man's house or carry off his possessions unless he tries ties up the strong man. That's Mark 9, 24 for anyone. Since Cain, and they spell his name wrong. They don't spell it with an E. They just say Cain, uh, is a trafficker himself in the area of moral darkness. There is little hope in reality that he would be able to resist Satan. For, for Satan doesn't fear our resistance to him, but rather our submission to God. What? Okay. Huh? And then, and then <laughs> I come in peace is pretty much a failure. Pretty much a failure. From the outer space aliens who looks more like a, t- a TV wrestler than anything else. Okay, that's a plus for me. To the violence that occurs throughout, another plus. There's female nudity, plus. <laughs> FBI higher-ups are characterized as evil. And the murder slash heroin extractions are so terrifically graphic, it is impossible to watch on screen. Highly disagree. The number count of instances of profanity or obscenities are approximately 100. Subsequently, this is one movie you'll want to avoid. Again, strongly disagree. And for films you could have seen in September of 1990, we have postcards from the Edge, Death Warrants, Hardware, State of Grace, Goodfellas, which would go on to lose the Academy Award in 1991 to uh, some film about Dancing with Wolves or something. Still <laughs> still bitter. Uh, Narrow Margin, Miller's Crossing, and Pacific Heights. Oh, and King of New York as well. Wow, that's a month. That is a month. That's a great month. Yeah, yeah death, month. Death, death Warrant was a good one. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. I, there's that's, so that's many. One, that's one of Van uh, Damme's better ones isn't it death warrant yeah that's the prison film right goes undercover in the prison yeah i will tell you that they sometimes um rotten tomatoes gives you a like you if you like this film you like this film death warrant is one of them and just because i'm looking at it death warrant sits at a zero percent on rotten tomatoes that's why we can't trust rotten tomatoes i'm sorry death warrants at a zero zero percent there's only five critic reviews but zero out of five critics like death warrant oh man um that makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. Yeah. All right. Paul, you Troy. I've even got the soundtrack to death, Warren. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I think I have the original uh, movie poster to it. There, there was a while there. I was collecting all of Jean-Claude's movie posters. It's got a great cheesy rock song on the credits, and that's always a plus. You know, it's just uh, it, if, if a film leaves you with a, on a high because it's an, a, an upbeat track at the end, I always, always like that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, let's talk about the people behind the camera first, uh, starting with Craig R. Baxley. Now, Mike, I, I know you've seen all three of these films. We talked about this um, when we talked about Stone Cold. There is rarely a director who three in a row puts this kind of quality out. So Craig did Action Jackson in 1988 with Carl Weathers, then Dark Angel in 1991 and Stone, or excuse me, yeah, Dark Angel in 1990, then Stone Cold in 1991. I think those are three of the most fun films that you see this carryover from the eighties. What's your thoughts on Craig Baxley? I, I, I know you, you've got to be a fan of, of his work. Yeah. I mean, I know those three films and I know he's a stunt coordinator. Yeah. Um, very high up, very well regarded, but, and it's always great when 
when there was always, there was quite a few films back in the eighties and nineties action movies where stunt men were directing them, you know, and you'd all, you'd always get so much bang for your buck because they they pull in favors and get do the craziest stuff because they knew they they were taking the risks, you know. Yeah. So so you'd have I, I always like it when a when a stunt man takes the realm of a uh, the reins of a film. You've got it now with John John Wick. You know, he's he's from a stuntman uh, background, I, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, Craig Baxley. Those three films—they've all got a real sense of fun. Like you say, they're all sort of there's there's a story in there. There's there's some drama and whatever, but it's fun. You know, they're all just fun. And I think I saw Stone Cold in the cinema too. So that was that was a good time. <laughs> so here's the toughest question I'm going to ask all day, from for both you and Brad. Those three films, can you rank them from first to third? Do you, do you have oh. a preference? <sighs> this has been the subject of, of uh, after we watched um, Dark Angel, Craig Baxley came up with, uh, and we sat there for a good 30 minutes, an hour, arguing our ranking. <laughs> and Everybody had a different first, second, and third. So I'm going to start with you, Brad. If you had to rank Craig R. Baxley's work for those three, what's one? What's get, what gets gold? What gets silver? Oh, what man. What day is it? Because it would all change, I think, re- regarding what day it was and what I've seen recently. So can I say that the margin between one, two, and three is like almost minute? And it might just be a tie I, I for think, first. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think it goes Stone Cold, I Come in Peace, and then Axe and Jackson. But again, it's like there's like one A one B and one C for me. Yeah, and they were all sort of interchange on like what I was feeling. Okay. That's fair. What about you, Mike? I, I would agree with that lineup. Yeah. Cause stone cold. It's so crazy as a film. It just pips dark angel. But, but again, like it depends what mood you're in. Dark angel sometimes might, might jump ahead. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I agree with that lineup. Uh, okay, I'm going to be the dissenter here. I you're going to say Action Jackson. First. I love Action yeah. Jackson. That that is first for me. It's very close. I would give you that depending on how recent I watch them, it may change. But for me, it's a little bit different. Whereas at, there's Action Jackson, and then I, I couldn't make a distinction between Dark Angel um, or Stone Cold. And and again, there's some sequences in Dark Angel that I just totally in love with, or aspects of it that Stone Cold doesn't have. And then there's other things that Stone Cold has that dark. So yeah. interchangeable. But for me, man, there, there's some, there's some magic in action Jackson that I just, yeah, it's I, called vanity. We get it. No, it's, it's actually Craig T. Nelson doing karate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that is great. And the end of the end of the film is great with the car going up the stairs and everything. Oh, but yeah. And Carl is, Weathers just owns that role, man. There is something about that film though that is a little bit slow in the middle. There's something where you just feel like they need it needed one more action scene or something. I always felt when I watched that, and you know that that's just my vibe on that film that there was it just needed one more bit of action in the middle. I, I don't uh, disagree. Out of the three, it probably has the least amount of action. Um, yeah, for a fi- for a film called Action Jackson, you know, just needed a little <laughs> bit more action, but. Yeah, it, but I love Carl Weathers so much in that role that yeah. that middle yeah. piece where he's doing the investigation, it it feels like they're hailing back to like you know the the Shaft films and everything else, which I think is what you know Craig was going for. But um, no, 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 I get that. I, I think everybody's ranking on this is fair, but I'm always surprised where Action Jackson for a lot of people just fall in that final place slot, and for me, it's it's number one. I just adore that, the that, film. That, in that film. I haven't seen it for a while, but is that the one where Vanity is? a drug addict yeah. and she's like 
uh, throughout the film. You don't quite know whether she's on uh, which side she's on. Is that, uh, yep. is that it? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Um, now this is where it gets really interesting. So the screenplay for this film, and I, I totally didn't know this. Uh, I don't know why I didn't know this. But you got Jonathan Tidor, um, which Dark Angel was his first screenplay. Not much significance after that. A couple of TV films, um, direct-to-video stuff. But it's Leonard Moss Jr., which I don't know why I didn't know this. Um, that's actually David Kep. And so right. David Kep, uh, his first screenplay was Apartment Zero, 1988. Nice little thriller. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But David is known for some films like Death Becomes Her. Uh, a little film called Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, uh, The Shadow from 94, which I think we'll talk about at some point, Brad. Yep, Mission absolutely. Impossible, Stir of Echoes, Spider-Man from 2002, Zathura. Th those are all amazing hits. Now, he's also responsible for stuff like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, Tom Cruise's The Mummy, and I think his latest one this year or last year with Steven Soderbergh, uh, Kimi. Uh, I, I haven't seen it. Um, don't know. Oh, much the about Zoe it. Kravitz movie. Yeah, I, I don't know much about it, but man, what what a resume and what a! I mean, this guy obviously has done some big films. I, I do. You, are you guys when you see David Kep's name, are are you like automatically in? Yeah, it's definitely a name that I, it's you know I'm familiar with, and you know he's on quality a lot of quality films. So yeah, I was surprised. I didn't know that he he was involved in Dark Angel though. Mm. Yeah, he, he was a pseudonym, right? And it, I think the story goes that the original screenplay they were working with, he came in afterwards and did a ton of rewrites. So Jonathan Tidor, he must have done the first pass or the first version of it, and they, eh, it's okay, and they bring David in, and he he just kind of rewrites the whole thing. Yeah, the, there's a lot of plot in the film, isn't there? For, for the, I think it's only a 90-minute film, in it, but there's a lot of plot. There's a lot on. of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff thing. going on. Yeah. And then we've got cinematography by Mark Irwin, who the same year that this came out, he had also shot RoboCop 2. Um, but, you know, he's attached to other things like Scream in 96. There's something about Mary in 98, old school in 2003. He's a pretty accomplished cinematographer. Wow, there's a lot of pedigree for this stuff. For this there movie. is. When you, when you take a step back and look at who was working behind the, the camera, the other thing that um, kind of blew my mind, and, and I, I know this artist, but you were just talking about music, Mike, so... The music in this film is done by Jan Hammer and uh, Jan Hammer was nominated in 85 and 86 for outstanding achievement in music composition for a series, little series called Miami Vice. Um, I love the synth score and everything in this film. Uh, Jan yeah. Hammer is pure eighties. Yeah. No, I'd say that the score is, is one of the things that stands out in the, I'm, uh, during that period of watching movies. I always preferred orchestral scores, but uh, there was always a sense sometimes synth scores felt a bit cheap and they were in, in some direct video films. It was like, Oh, that sounds like a cheap score, but sometimes you get something that was cool and, you know, it worked really well. Like, like, like Brad Fidel on Terminator and, yeah. and, and this film as well, you know, there's, there's a cool score on this film and uh, it fits with the, with the whole film. Yeah. I mean, I think when people think of, I, I don't know about you guys, but when you talk about synth scores from the eighties, Carpenter's name is usually the first that kind of comes up a lot of times. But I always forget about how influential Jan Hammer stuff was, especially for stuff like Miami Vice. I mean, when Miami Vice had their album, you know, come out um, with all of the different rock songs on it, plus the orchestral. I mean, I bought it because of that theme song. The theme song is just fantastic. Probably one of the most recognizable theme songs for television history ever. 
Yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely got his own sort of recognisable style. Um, and and uh, also against his score in this film, it, had, it was filled with, with 80s rock cheese, wasn't it? You yeah. know, like X, XYZ was in it, wasn't I, it? I, I'm so, <laughs> I was so excited when I saw XYZ again. Um, yeah. The last person I want to mention for behind the camera, of course, we've got Paul Baxley, um, who we talked about when we talked about Stone Cold. So when you when you look at the stunt coordinator and really the stunts, it's it's just the Baxley family, right? The grandfather, the father, Craig's there. I think Craig's son is on it. So 100% the Baxleys have um, a stunt lineage, and they're all working behind the scenes on this one, and it definitely The Baxleys shows. love to blow up a car. They yeah. love blowing up cars. They love blowing up everything, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. Those are the good old days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Um, Mike, what what's your take on Dolph Lundgren? So do you have a do you have a favorite Dolph Lundgren film? What do you think of him as an actor? Um, I think he got, you know, when he started out, he got he had, he had a hard time, didn't he? Because he wasn't an actor and he was kind of thrown in the deep end with with Rocky IV uh, being a major star in that. And yeah. um didn't have many lines. Uh, although that some of his lines have been put back in now with the director's cut, but but um yeah, I'm always remembering getting a tough, tough time from the press for 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 his ha- acting style and and some of his line deliveries in like Masters of the Universe and stuff like that. But I would say for me, Dark Angel is my favorite of his movies because it, it felt like in that film he was he was becoming he was just definitely more confident as a, a, a being in front of the camera and saying and having lines, you know, um, being very correct, like very charismatic. Yeah, yeah. I agree hundred percent. What about you, Brad? Where, where do you land on Dolph? Well, we did do the Punisher and mm-hmm. that movie is spectacular. Um, Masters of the universe is another one. Um, <clears throat> Universal soldier, but I, I agree with Mike. Like he was very tight cast after Rocky four, but I will argue that Ivan Drago is the greatest eighties villain. Like, I mean, it's up. He's in the conversation regardless if you don't say he's number one. Um, so he, well, had a presence, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, he is much better than people give him credit for. And I will yeah. point yeah. to this film. Like he's really charismatic and he's got a lot of charm in this, like totally against character of like Ivan or even, you know, his role in masters in the universe. So yeah, he's not as robotic as people say he is. No, no. You know, is it a couple of his early films, like Master of the Universe, maybe there was there was some clunky bits in, but that was his, was that his first major, where he was the star, was that the first Yeah, one? because it was that was after Rocky. Yeah, so, you know, he, he'd not done much at, up to that point, and um, but he, I think, you know, he's, he's straight after that, he's, uh, he's definitely got better, and he's really watchable, he's really sort of, uh, you know, got a real good screen presence, and a good he's just someone you can watch as a and enjoy whatever he's doing he's just um he's just got a good persona on screen i think you know and even, it, more, even more so the over the recent years like in, in expendables and stuff where he's oh, been he's, crazy yeah he's great in the expendables um yeah especially yeah. that first one isn't he like a genius isn't like he a, a, a yeah. member of Mensa or whatever yeah yeah, and he's an athlete, isn't he? He's like you, you should hate him, really. But <laughs> yeah, he's a drummer. He plays drums. Uh, yeah, he's an uh, engineer. Um, yeah, he's probably one of those dudes that's just good at everything, and you know, good. Lo- yeah, you're right. Like we should hate him, but he's so charming and so like good that you're just like, no, I, I, I like, I like Dolph. Yeah. So he's he, he's one of the guys. So when when we talk about and like the question um, we asked you during your your five questions. 
we always talk about Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and but if if you go back and look at Dolph Lundgren, especially through the '90s, I mean, we talked about him in The Punisher, and that came out in 1989, and I I think he's so good in that film. It is a great film, that yeah. Right? And he follows that up with Dark Angel. Then he does Cover Up in '91, and then also in the same year, he does a little film called Showdown in Little Tokyo with Brandon that Lee. Is- that's so good that film. That's, yeah. Well, oh man, we're going to be talking about that one here in about a month. <laughs> That's, uh, there's a line from that that we put into Chuck Steele as well. It went the the most famous line from that film. Uh, you you probably know it. Don't you? I'm <laughs> the trying line to think where, of... where he's in the toilet and he says, "You've got the biggest penis yes. I've ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that's a direct lift from that film because the the whole film slows down for that line, and you go, "What did he just say that?" <laughs> That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's a fun little film. We're going to be talking about that soon. Dolph- so, Mike, for the for the sequel to Chuck Steele, when someone asks him what university he goes to or he graduated from, can it be from Suck My Dick University? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get you in when we do the script. We can we can com- converse. Awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I just he Dolph Lundgren is one of those guys. Even for his to video stuff, we were talking about Die Hard uh, parodies. He did one called Command Performance, where he's like a drummer of a rock band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a really fun film. And, and yeah, I need to find that. I need to find that one. I saw it years ago on VHS, and I've just not seen it since. So. Yeah, he's just got this string of films that he pops up in, um, and I, I just don't think he gets enough love. Um, he directed that as well, didn't he? Yeah, I believe so. So he's 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 a man of all trades. I mean, I've seen I've seen these clips of him even drumming and doing all this stuff for like Swedish talent, um, like shows or whatnot and he's fantastic and as a martial artist he's really good too for as tall as he is he yeah. is super fluid was cover up was that the one that was released as joshua tree over here yes that's joshua tree and and um i, I thought cover up was with lou uh, gossett jr maybe oh, that's was, right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so which cover there was joshua tree was released here but it was called something else originally wasn't it it was um and that was another stuntman directed film i think uh yeah that was Vic Armstrong who yeah. directed that one. Oh what what was Army that of thing? One Army of One Army, Army of One, one. That's, that's what it was yeah. okay that's, that's another good one with um George Seagull in it as the villain who can't stop swearing all the time so yeah yeah you get and, Lamborghinis and in the desert and that's a really violent film in some of the gunfights you know but it's like they they were trying to do some of the Hong Kong type action in it you know people sliding around on the floor firing guns and things but. That was a good fun film. It kind of just came and went. Yeah. Now next uh, on the cast list, we've got Brian Ben Ben, a special a special agent, Arwood Larry Smith. Now, growing up at this time period, I don't know if you would have even seen this. Brad, there was a show on HBO, and it came out the same year as this film. It was called Dream On. It was from 1990 to 1996. A TV series on HBO. What was unique? It was sort of an adult comedy. But um, it was interspersed with all these old television and movie clips that would represent what was going on in his head. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't been released. Oh, because they can't get the rights? Well, yeah, it'd be really super expensive. But after Dream On Dark Angel, the only other thing I remember him in was uh, Radio Land Murders from 1994. But I, I, I feel like he's kind of fallen off outside of a couple of TV shows and stuff like that. since. Yeah, then. I, I don't remember him from anything other than that. Dream On was shown over here on Channel 4, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, that's all I remember him from. Yeah, it was it was a pretty big deal when it came out, and I I know um, it did well with the critics as well, which is why it lasted as long as it did. 
Yeah. Um, we've got Betsy Brantley as Diane Pallone. Oh, she she gets treated really badly in this film, doesn't she? <laughs> she does. And I was trying to figure out why she looks so familiar to me until I went back and looked at um, sort of her resume. Her first film was Shock Treatment uh, in 1981. She was Neely Pritt. Is Shock Treatment, is that the... Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> sequel. Rocky Horror Picture Show sequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but she, the year this came out, she was in dark angel and Robert Redford's Havana. So again, she's gravitated probably mostly to TV work at this point. And then the other person we spent a little time with, um, outside of mentioning a couple other names is Matthias Hughes. So he's the, he's the bad alien man. You talk about screen presence. I've always liked Matthias and I've been a big fan of him in the nineties when you go to the video store and you would see these movies with Billy blanks, um, Talented Eagle, TC2000, which I think Vinegar Syndrome's put out some special yeah. editions on. But yeah. I've, I've always liked Matthias Hughes, and he's in a like just another Olympian athlete, uh, can pretty much do everything. The special features on Dark Angel, when they talk about him, there's a lot of fun stories about him, um, you know, with the shoes and everything else being 6'7 or 6'8 and all the stunts that he had to do. And because he was so big, they couldn't find a stuntman for him, so he had to do all his own stunts. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what you guys think about Matthias. He's always been one in the nineties. Anytime I saw him on the cover of something, I was renting that thing, even stuff like digital man with Adam Baldwin. I think came out mid nineties. Oh yeah, that's right. Wasn't he the titular digital man? Yes, he was. That was his yes. character. Yeah. He, he's another one, like you say, good screen presence. And, and he was in a lot of movies back then. And um, I don't know. Is it, what's it, what was his last movie? Cause I haven't seen him in, anything for so long. Oh, that's a good uh, question. I, I, I assume he's still working. He was putting out some promos for this. I think when, um, uh, dark angel got some French Blu-ray special edition release. And I think him and Dolph Lundgren were doing some stuff, but, uh, I, uh, to be quite honest, I'm, I assume he's still doing, actually, I thought he was in a puppet master film more recently. Like yeah, you might be right. Yeah. One of the yeah. newer ones. I remember him, you know, being in something like that, but I don't think he's got steady work. I think he just pops up here and there and he's not. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> 2023 gunfight at Rio Bravo. He's in that. Um, he was on Terror on the Prairie 2022. I remember. So the last thing I kind of remember him standing out, he was in, I believe. Oh, gosh, I'm going to try to remember this one. It was Power Rangers. I think it was like Lost Galaxy, maybe. He was the Guardian, I believe. I could be wrong, but I think that's the last thing I've seen him. Man, I'm paying, I'm looking at his film right now. He's he's working pretty steady. I, I thought he Is kind he? of fell off. He's got 11 projects coming out um, here in the next. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear because he, he was on, um, uh, he was being interviewed on one of the Vinegar Syndrome releases at one of the Billy Blanks films. And he was saying how hard it was on him uh, during that period, just the training and the work, working and the stunts and all of this, you know, it's taken its toll on him. So hopefully he's getting some roles now where he's not having to do all his own crazy stuff and he's getting to act a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in, in, in Dark Angels uh, uh, commentary, I think they talk about the stunt where he's running over the car bonnets as they're yes. exploding and he just got to jump through the window at the end and, and he was just doing it in one single bound from car to car. Oh. Like, it's yeah. funny you said it. Cause like normally we're, we're used to like <clears throat> when you see something that was shot in the eighties or early nineties, 
and then you go back and look at it on Blu-ray, you're like, that's definitely not that actor running across those cars. And last night I was like, nope, that that looks dead on him, and he's running across those cars as they blow up. That's uh, pretty yeah. intense. He does a lot of Jackie Chan stuff in this film. Let's be honest. I mean, he's very close to being just blown to smithereens, and it's, what, it's what him my, right there. One of my favorite films for a spot in the stuntman edit is uh, Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you watched the fight scene in the kitchen and you p- p- pause it, if you don't even need to pause it. Sometimes you just see, that's not him. That's not him. That's not him. <laughs> but it's really it's so well put together, the, the, the fight, yeah. that, you know, it's 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 done right. But they just hold on the, the faces a little bit too long in some shots and you go, stuntman, stuntman, stuntman. But it's... Uh, it's uh, you should play a drinking game for that scene. I think <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse in 4k, right? You see everything. Um, and then, uh, so Jay Belias, who's the good alien. This was interesting. He only had three film credits to his name. Dark angel was the first one. Um, and then there's one actor I want to talk about. Uh, he's going to come up again in a film. We're going to talk about in the future, but for about three or four minutes, Michael J. Pollard shows up and he seemed to do this a lot in the eighties and nineties. And he plays a character named Owen. He's Owen from Tango and cash. He's Owen from Tango and cash. Um, so in 1990, uh, we've got Dick Tracy. He was in that as well. The other film I or a couple of films I remember him in was Scrooged from 88 and split second, that Rudger Hauer film. He plays uh, the rat King or sewer King or something of that nature. Um, I don't know what you think about him. Every time he, he pops up, it's like three or four minutes. And for whatever reason, I get kind of excited. It, it's, it's like very manic and like strange and kind of strange looking like he would definitely not be a working actor today. Cause he doesn't look like, <laughs> you know, the most beautiful person in the world, but I love seeing him. His Owen is one of my favorite sort of that person people in a, in a film. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he, he he's pretty much the same every time you see him, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Generally, but it's it's such he always goes to the weird place with his acting, and it's like a, it, it always stands out as a as a fun scene when he turns up. But he but he did, like you say he did a, quite a few sort of cameo roles in in those in, in during that period where he would just pop up as a as a quirky oddball character who helps the plot move along. <laughs> well, e- even in something like uh, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, he's in it for two or three minutes, I think, with Sid Hay, and he stands out. I mean, everybody's quirky in that film, but he still manages to stand out. Uh, he's and, a weird way to say that, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so real quick, there's not a lot of production and development stories behind this. The only thing I could see that uh, were some interesting facts was that filming went two weeks over deadline. That's it. I mean, Craig Baxley seems to come under budget. He, he hits, you know, everything he's supposed to. That's about the only negative thing you could say that went wrong with the production, but there was an interesting incident. And I think Dolph Lundgren talks about this in the special features. And when you see it in the film, it's clear as day. This guy got hit hard, but Dolph Lundgren delivers a roundhouse kick to one of the bad guys on entering this grocery store sequence right at the beginning. Yeah, it's a Craig R. Baxley film, so there's got to be like a uh, a grocery store robbery. Yep. Yep, that's that's how we start these movies, right? <laughs> so the kick apparently connected with the the uh, star and knocked the actor out, like completely knocked him out. And apparently what had happened is, you know, they, they had timed it, and Dolph Lundgren does a spin kick, which he just looks fantastic when he's kicking people in the face. But he does the spin kick, and the guy misses his mark, so he gets in too close, and Ooh. Dolph Lundgren kind of came in slipping a little bit when he did the spin kick and just totally makes connection to that guy's face and apparently 
knocked him back and knocked him out. He was out cold. Yeah, I, I, I have seen that on the on the uh, the making of, and uh, you can see it when you spot when you, when you freeze frame it. Yeah, it looks deadly. It's amazing. I mean, there's, there's a couple of uh, back then, obviously with with them taking more risks because you couldn't do things with CGI and stuff. There's quite a few films from that period where stunts went a bit bit wrong, but they've left the footage in. I don't know if you've seen in um, Invasion USA when the doors blow off. And they fly towards the camera and hit that guy who's sat behind a desk. Yeah. And I think he took them to court over it because he seriously injured him. But when you watch the film, you you think, Jesus, that guy's dead. Surely that just looks <laughs> awful. And there was another one. What was the other film? Um, the Taking of Beverly Hills. Have you seen that? Oh, with uh, oh, that guy from the Ken, TV show. Ken, Ken Wall. Ken Wall, yeah. And um, there's a scene where they – the two of them, him and Matt Frewer, are looking through a door and there's a tank coming towards the door and they turn and run and the tank comes through the door and Matt Frewer, and it's really him, falls on the floor and the tank goes over him. You can see it in the shot. You're like, how is he alive? Oh, man, I need <laughs> to go back have, and watch that. He must have just gone under it or something, but, you know, between the tracks or something, because it just looks horrendous, but it's in the final film. But Oh, no. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot, lot of... Uh, Stunts gone wrong in uh, in those films, but they they keep the footage in there. Yeah, and this one's definitely in there, especially on Blu-ray. As soon as you see that foot connect to the face, you know that guy's not getting up. I mean, it it hurt. Um, yeah. You talked the about other, this. The, the other thing I remember from the commentary was, um, I think the director said something like, uh, "The budget was originally double, and they got half just before they went into shoot or something." Yeah, so it was like 40, it was fourteen million, and then they went down to seven but he still had to pull off the same story. Ugh. Well, so, it, it was interesting. Cause I think he also said um, with their shooting schedule, they would end up being ahead of schedule. And so there are a couple of action sequences that were not in the script or explosions. And he's like, well, we're a day ahead. Let's go ahead and enter um, this new sequence and shoot this. And so they managed even with that budget to get more than what was on paper. That's be, that's because he, as a stuntman he could just do he, he he knew the corners he could cut safely you know and just do blow stuff up and be fine with it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I I I found this interesting too. Um, you had talked about Brad. This was really released in the U.S. That's where most of its uh, box office mm-hmm. came from. It had a limited theatrical release in some other countries. So the movie was independently made none of the Hollywood major studios were interested in picking up this film for distribution. So it was sold to independent distributors around the world. Sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) It became a surprise hit in many countries. And in the UK, it became EIV's biggest selling VHS rental of all time up to that point after a small but successful theatrical release. So this thing just found life post theater and VHS really uh, made it super popular at that point. Yeah, that was a great era where you could you could independent films could spend a, a reasonable amount of money, you know, at risk at risk a certain budget level, and still find a release through VHS. The VHS market, you know, physical media now is kind of struggling a bit in terms of wide, you know, a wide distribution. There's still collectors out there, I guess, but but that was that was the heyday of. Uh, of home entertainment and, uh, and 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 those small independent movies, you know, finding an audience and, and breaking out. 
and and, and it's, a, it's it's sad that that area is not there anymore oh to, absolutely to, to the degree it was you know yeah spot on uh, the only other fact I found was the alien gun. It doesn't really look like an alien gun, but it's it's a modified Calico M950. So for all you gun nuts out there, um, that's did what they, it is. Did they have on that? Was it like the Robocop gun? Where it was like, was it like a gas powered flash on it, or some crazy sort of, you know, it was like unrealistic muzzle flare on it. Yeah. But it was uh, for for the cameras, obviously. But like the Robocop gun, always. I always wondered how they did that, but I, I think it was gas, wasn't it? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's some pyrotechnic like device yeah. that's actually on there. So it's it's just spraying out fire more or less to give that effect that it's shooting something, right? So it's the same thing. It's, they modify this gun, this real life thing, kind of alien it up, but then put the pyrotechnics on it so it looks really cool. It had to be dangerous as heck just to operate the thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene at the end where where they're in the. Uh, uh, sort of warehouse. Everything ended in a warehouse at some point, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but they were running along a gantry, and an ex- explosion's going off behind them. And on the commentary, they're saying about how because they're in an enclosed space, the heat just stays in there. And they, the heat was chasing them basically as they were running along this gantry. They could feel the, the those explosions just almost burning their hair, you know, because it just travelled along the the corridor. But you can't tell when you watch it because it's just visual. But that must have been scary to shoot that for real. Oh, the pyrotechnics. We'll talk about that in detail when we talk about the film. Um, How about we take a quick break? We're going to play some old commercials. When we come back, let's share our thoughts on this uh, little gem from 1990. So stay tuned. Marty, shh. You'll scare the fish. But we're missing the big football Relax. game. Relax. My VHS home video recorder is taping it right now. Terrific. Watch. Terrific. But suppose it's over three hours. Relax. Panasonic VHS tapes up to four hours of sports, movie specials on one cassette. Wow. This VHS is for me. You caught the whole game. Best catch of the day. Yeah. VHS, the four-hour system from Panasonic and other leading companies. Mysterious beings from another world. Unholy overlords with their fiendish, diabolical mind machine. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. A mind-bending voyage in 3D. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. A thrilling science fiction adventure in widescreen 3D space vision. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. Rated PG. Don't miss it. Mike, I want to start with you. You had a chance to revisit this. Um, I have to imagine. So we watched it with a group of friends and, and they've all seen Chuck Steele. And we all had this universal as soon as it was over. Um, it was, oh my gosh, Chuck Steele is that much better when you watch something like this because you see all of the references being pulled over in, in terms of the storytelling, the pacing of it, the humor, everything else. And I'm curious, as a filmmaker, as somebody who sort of made a love letter to this type of film, you go back and revisit it. Um, what what are your thoughts on it this many years later? 
Uh, I think uh, these films, I I love them more over time. You know, I go back. It's just it's a lot of nostalgia as well. You, you know, looking back to your the younger your younger days where you were just devouring movies and um, trying to find stuff that would you know be um, an enjoyable experience. And I, I always tried to find those fun movies that when I came out of the cinema on a bit of a high, you know, because it was just exciting and fun yeah. and silly sometimes. But I mean, that film ends on a, a particularly funny note where they've just killed the alien. They're walking out arm in arm, smiles on their faces. And I, and I think they make a joke about somebody going to Barbados or something. Reno. Or Rio. Rio, Rio. Rio. And then uh, the rock, uh, the freeze frame <laughs> and the rock track kicks in by shooting star, I think it is. Isn't it? And uh, it's just so ridiculous, really, when you look at it, isn't it? But and, and I think if people watch Chuck Steele, they'll be like, and they haven't seen a lot of these films, they'll be like, what the hell is this film? <laughs> because it is all about that era and those types of movies that I grew up with. So they... You know, I, like in your your question, what I what do I think about them? I think as as time goes on, I just I just enjoy watching them more more. You know, it just gets better <laughs> just because it's a it's a it's a snapshot of a simpler time. I think. Yeah, I I don't know about you guys. I'm always this is the type of film. There's there's just a string of films from the mid '80s to maybe early '90s that every time I go back and revisit, I'm always surprised with again and again. Um, and they have so much rewatchability and I'm, I just wish there were more current films that felt like this. Like I, I really, this sounds just, um, stupid, but I miss these 90 minute tight paced little thrill rides and I don't need two or three hours and tons of exposition. Um, I, I just, I miss this era of filmmaking where it was, we got it. We keep the story basic there's a lot of stuff jam packed into it, but they know what they're doing and they entertain and they they don't overstay their welcome. That's probably the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Like the, watching this movie again reminds me that in the late eighties to early nineties, we had more movies that understood the rule. Don't over, overstay your welcome. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It just, it bugs me. Brad, you, you got to revisit this. What was, what was your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I watched this and I was just, like kind of like Mike, like this is like the nice comfort food that you always go back to and it kind of gets better and better every time I see it because we're so far removed from them now. Like they don't make 90 minute action films like this. And you could kind of shrug this off as like a Terminator ripoff. And you know, it definitely wears that uh, reference uh, in, in influence on its sleeve, but it's a lot of fun. Lundgren is amazing in this film he looks sexy as hell he is charismatic as hell um and they're not trying to overcomplicate things they don't tell you where the aliens are from and all that like there's no like we don't waste any time like we don't care where the aliens are from they're aliens and one of them is a drug dealer and the other one is trying to stop them there it's done um it kind of reminds me of like the the storytelling in the original predator like sure the predators here what, what okay let's go in and, and th- i kind of put this in in sort of that sort of category category with predator i i think like it's a really fun chase film and 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 um yeah i mean i, I really enjoy it. the the practical effects in this and the stuff that blows up. i mean everything in this movie 
is I guess filled with gasoline because everything <laughs> blows up. It just everything in this movie blows up and it blows up really well. And we always have a camera and people running towards the camera and the explosions um, in the back. And it always looks awesome. And I was surprised. It's just how much fun um, I had watching it, even by myself. Like I was just having such a good time watching this. Um, it had been, I think the shout factory edition I had came out in like 2013, 2014. And I watched it then. And I don't know if I've seen it much since then. And I, so I'm glad we we did this because I revisited it and I loved every second of it. Um, you know, I tend to move towards like, science fiction and we brought up like split second like i think split second is amazing even though like again i'm not gonna say it's the best movie ever made and obviously it's got a lot of cheese but i love every second of split second and this is kind of along with those lines too so yeah man i i really thought this held up really well actually i think it's better now than it was in 1990 because it's so different um this would have been had a hard time standing out um, in the nineties, because like we had stuff like even around this time, like the arrival, like uh, these like weird alien sort of things. And now you look back and it's so unique because we don't get stuff like this. And, and again, you watch this and stone cold together. It's like, that is a great three. Like you could watch stone cold and I come in peace in the same time you can watch avatar. I'd rather watch those two films than avatar. Yeah. It's just, it's just me. Uh, no, I, I think you're right. It, it, it's the that time period had a lot of movies being made that were just meant for popcorn entertainment, and they were they had some thrills in them. They had some laughs. They were they didn't take themselves too seriously, and they weren't trying to teach you anything. They weren't trying to lecture you or or say say anything deep. It was just ninety minutes. Let's of, entertain. Let's entertain. Uh, it, entertainment. It, Though, like we say, oh, they weren't taking themselves too seriously, like the story-wise and stuff. But I think they made these films, like, they weren't weaking at the camera. They oh, weren't no, trying no. to go out. Like, no. they made these earnest films that just happened to be, like, a B-level film. Yeah. And I think that comes across. Like, we're not having this, like, wonder well, how I got here or, yeah, that just happened. Like, all those clips that we do now are just so sort of fingernails on a chalkboard to me now and now you look back on this is like no they were going for it with this they yeah. were going for it and they what, hit what, it what, what i mean was like they take they weren't like i say they weren't winking at the camera but they yeah. were they were also they knew the fun that they were making and, and the, the fun that they were having and we were gonna partake in that when we see see the results you know and they was yeah. they played the story straight and that's really important because and I was when even even as silly as Chuck Steele is as a, as a film, I I always wanted to keep the the threat straight through the film. So even though you had the ridiculous world of these characters, the threat to them was was serious and straight. Otherwise, like you say, we'd all be silly and we'd all be you know winking at camera. And I, and those films of that period, the best ones, and even the not so best ones were they just had a sense of fun to them and you were you were kind of you knew what you were going in for and and i think that's why a lot of modern stuff like you mentioned earlier that modern stuff is less rewatchable because these days there's a there's a darkness to a lot of things being made um there's a there's a as though making something you know, depressing or bleak is is somehow more worthy and gonna gonna win some awards or whatever. But you know, 
I'd rather see, have a film that I can watch 20 times and still love it, you know? Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you say that because I feel like th- there was a, a film that showed up on Netflix um, and it it looked exactly like something like The Raid. So, you know, people kicking each other in faces, explosions. I'm like, ooh, I'm super excited for seeing this. And I look at the runtime and I'm like, two hours and 20 minutes. Okay. So I watched the trailer and I'm like, what here is worth two hours and 20 minutes? And I I find myself, especially for modern action films, fast forwarding through parts when I'm rewatching it. If I'm just kind of saying, well, I, I want to kind of check the brain at the door and just get some thrills. It's really hard to do with the modern stuff. It's easier to do with films like this because I think they knew from a craft perspective exactly what they were going for and they kept it very slick and they took out all of the excesses and say, we got to hit these beats and we're going to tell this story. And this is the thing I love about Craig Baxley because if you look at all three of those films, say what you will even about Action Jackson in the middle part, there is purpose in everything that's going on and, it, and it's still guiding the story to a very distinct you know, place. The thing it almost I'll, feels like they have a stopwatch where they like hit a stopwatch and like, okay, we haven't had action in about seven minutes. We need to let's do an action scene. This here. one feels like it. I, I'll say yeah. this even last night. The the two movies that stuck out to me is I have to assume Craig Baxley is like, you know what? I'm gonna take Lethal Weapon and I'm gonna take Phantasm and I'm gonna make this really cool film and put it together because there are sequences in here. Um, the Matthias Hughes to me feels exactly like the Tall Man the Angus Grimm character. Mm-hmm. And instead of like a sphere flying around with blades in it, you get the CD <laughs> that's like yeah, ripping yeah. people's throats. But I love that. I, I mean, you can, you can say it's a Terminator knockoff. You could say it's a phantasm ripoff lethal weapon. It also has like film. some highlighter in it too. Like the, the bad aliens kind of like the Kurgan a bit too. Like, it's got everything, yeah. but it, it little Robocop thrown in there. Like it it's bar- definitely taking like everything in the eighties yeah. and just making a film. But it does it yeah. really well. It takes those elements and it goes, we're not just borrowing them for the sake of borrowing you know, that element. It's we're going to tell this story. We're going to take this element, incorporate it into the story. And for whatever reason, it still feels fresh and original, even though you could spend, uh, you could turn a drinking game into, okay, what are they borrowing from what 80s film here? What 80s film here? It's all there. But well, it still one, feels of the, original. one of the things uh, when, when I made the Chuck Steele film, we uh, Chuck's apartment is really kind of nice. He's got this nice apartment, and it was it was based on this film. The fact that he's got all that art collection. Yeah. He's like, it's like he's a, he's a policeman, but he's got this massive apartment with, with an art collection. <laughs> and they never and they, they never talk about it. No, like they mention it like, oh, you have a really nice apartment, and then they move on. And yeah. So they're really w- weird sort of moments in the film as well that stand, stand out like the way his girlfriend is sort of treated so poorly by him and she's still she's still chasing him and I think at one point he, he even makes her quit her job doesn't she yeah <laughs> they, they want I mean, it is away. the 1990s uh Dolph Lundgren so I'm I'm if he wants to be with me I'm quitting my job too so <laughs> but, 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 but she says at one point uh uh she wanted to go away with him wasn't it? they were meant to leave and he said yeah let's do it let's let's leave but and so she quits her job, and the next time she sees him, he's changed his mind. He said, "No, no, no, I can't leave now. I've got to find this alien." There's that exchange in the morgue where she makes a comment, and she's putting her gloves on about you know some sometimes people like hurting each other or whatever. And yeah. Dolph Lundgren just has this look on his face like he's busted, and Brian Ben Ben figures it out like, "Oh, they got something going on." That little exchange um, again. 
as much as I love the explosions and as much as I love the action sequences in here, there is really good chemistry between Lundgren and Ben Ben. Like they are fantastic. They are hilarious together. Yeah. And and they've got that their scene where they go to the um the, the guy in the lab, isn't it? They they always used to have a guy in the lab. Yeah. And he was the guy's high on drugs or something, isn't he? Or he's always on caffeine, is it, when he's drinking coffee. He's saying caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, I remember that scene where they their look on their faces dealing with this character was quite entertaining, you know. They were there was a sort of fun uh, chemistry between them in that moment. The the best. Does, he, does that character have Tourette's too? Ooh. I always got like a like he's, a little... he's got like twitches and stuff, isn't yeah. he? Because he's because of the caff. The, the I think that's the caffeine, but then he just yells like fuck yeah, real loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it this moment or this movie has those little moments in there that are so memorable um, that just stick out for a couple of minutes, and well, then it because, goes on to the next the next memorable moment, right? Well, when we're talking about like economical filmmaking, like when you only have ninety minutes, you pack a lot of stuff in a scene, and you don't linger on it but you give a lot in a scene and i think i really am starting to enjoy that more like again because they don't do that anymore like we don't let i agree do that i think it comes from the actors too like i think every role in here not even lundgren etc but everybody understands there's no small part so to your point the movie's economical so if you're only given three or four minutes you've got to deliver something memorable in those three or four minutes and everybody does. The villains do. The scientist does. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got a number of different story threads going on. And they've got the drug. The, the, they've got the the yuppies dealing drugs. They've <laughs> the got white the, boys. <laughs> the, the the corrupt uh, Fed guy, isn't it? Uh, the Switzer method, or whatever, and he gets shot at the, um, by by Dolph, and yeah. there's no repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and then you've got the alien, then you've got the relationship thing, and you've got the buddy cop thing. They do cram a lot into the film, plot wise and just you know uh, structure wise. But I think back then it was more to do with cinema releases as well because you'd want to do a ninety minute film because cinemas didn't want films to go over ninety minutes because they would lose a showing. Mm-hmm. So generally back then it was like ninety minutes was the ideal. I know that's changed now, but. And it's almost like the opposite now with the streaming services. They just want more and more content to fill the time. Uh, so that's why things are getting more bloated and less less refined. There was an art to making these 90-minute films and you, you precision scene structures and all of that sort of stuff, even when they were kind of almost throwaway movies, you know, they, they still had to adhere to some of those, to those rules, really. No, absolutely. And and the other thing, the uh, the comedy, there's some really good comedic moments in this. Uh, when we were watching it, you know, there's four or five of us, the scene where everybody, you know, laughs out loud, probably the, the biggest was when Ben Ben is trying on Lundgren's jacket and he's like, oh, hey, it fits. And Lundgren says it should. It was mine when I was 12. Was 12. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. I mean, the suck my dick university is one of my favorite lines <laughs> in any movie, period. So good. The other sequence when they're, so they have this really fun car chase and they blow up Matthias Hughes police car, right? It does the, the tumble and Ben Ben gets out and he's all excited because they think they stopped the alien. And then all of a sudden Matthias comes running full speed from the wreckage. Ben Ben's reaction is priceless. And you can tell like just Matthias in terms of um, athletic build and what he can do, he, he would easily catch up to him. 
And I think even on the commentary behind the scenes, they kept having to tell him, Hey, slow down. <laughs> like you're, you're way too fast. And you know, he he's six, seven or whatever. And he's got a huge stride, but there's these, these comedic beats that pop up and just, and it keeps as, as, um, I don't know, as, as the ante keeps getting upped in terms of story and who gets killed and all this other stuff, they still manage to keep these comedic beats in there and make it a lot of fun. You know, I, I don't think he would ever admit this, but I think James Cameron has seen this film a few times because I, I saw a lot of T2 in this movie. It could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw a lot. Like I was like, mm, so you, okay. you're thinking that, uh, we could we could have a lawsuit on our hands. Baxley could go back and just say, "Hey, dude, T two. No, I mean, Cameron's lawyers are way better, so you didn't want to do that. But I think it, I think it's definitely helped sort of a frame that film in, in in a way. But this film also borrowed from Terminator, so like it's just coming full circle. Yeah, and Terminator was based based on Cameron's dream, wasn't it? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, had a, he had a dream and about the robot from the future and woke up and wrote it. <laughs> oh, I never knew that. That's really how the story goes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, was there a favorite explosion? I, there's like every five minutes there's an explosion. Did you guys have a favorite explosion in the film? This movie should have been called, I know it has, I come in peace and dark angel could add a third title, uh, running away from explosions, the movie, because every five minutes there's, a, but do you have a favorite explosion? We've talked about it. It's the one where he's running across the car hoods of the car, and they're just blowing up one after the other. That that's done. In, I think that's probably taken from a Hong Kong movie. It must be. But but there's um, there's another film from the eighties where they did that again, which is um, hard, not hard to kill. Hard. Oh, is it David Bradley straight to video? Um, oh, what was it called? Hard. I can't remember now. But it was hard as <laughs> in the title anyway. So it must have been a. A diehard ripoff of some sort, but uh, yeah, running along the boot bonnets of the car and uh, they're exploding. And I think they did it quite well in that film as well. But I don't think they they blew up quite as nicely as they did in this film. That's fantastic. I the one explosion that gets me every time is when towards the back end of the film, the uh, the drug dealers, the white boys, show up, and uh, the the police officer shows up as well. So you've got this. Um, you know, firefight continuing. And then all of a sudden, Matthias Hughes shows up with his gun, right? And he blows up the car that the white boys are standing next to it. And that one stunt guy goes over the car, gets yeah. flown over, and it looks like he lands on his head. And yeah. they cut away just so you don't see the full impact. Mm -hmm. But it looks like something out of Police Story 2 um, when Jackie was playing with explosions. But as much as I like that car sequence in the garage where everything's blowing up, the the body carnage that occurs from that one explosion is so fascinating because it to your point mike it looks exactly like something taken out of a hong kong film was that called yeah. hard hard uh hard ball no it's called, i just looked it up it's called hard justice hard justice hard justice okay. okay yes and it was david bradley was in it charles napier uh, vernon wells oh who directed that that sounds awesome. I'm gonna need to put that on the yeah. watch list. Yuji, Yuji Okamoto, who I think was in Karate Kid. He's okay. In okay. From 1995. All right. I'm yeah. adding hard justice. I love this. I love uh, movies like this take you down a rabbit hole and you start <laughs> finding these other little gems. Yeah. I 
I'm really hoping Shop Factory decides to give this one a 4K. Um, I, I got to say, the only thing I don't like about the Blu-ray release they did is the 5.1 track sounds really soft. The 2.0 sounds good. Um, right. But this needs Dolby Atmos. The whole 4K works. Like, I, I you want need all to hear those explosions. I want to hear those explosions. I want to feel them. Yeah, um, and, the rock, and the rock tracks. Yes, definitely the rock tracks. The only unrealistic thing in this film for me, I'm just going to put it out there, is uh, this model blonde mechanic that's working oh. in the garage. That's the only thing that takes me out of it because she can't even bob her head in sync with the music and she's trying to figure out what it, a, I don't know, a wrench is. <laughs> she just, just randomly like sprays like WD 40 in a car. Just like, yep, this is how we fix a car. Just spray here, spray here. I'm going to yeah. ratchet this. And it was like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But it, but it is good use of a mannequin of what happens to her because she, you can clearly see he's just, jamming whatever that device is uh into a mannequin's head yeah um, i love the tech in this movie too the disc and the like little worm thing that comes out of his arm and all that stuff is really really cool a bit at the end always makes me laugh a bit where he's fighting Dolph and he shoots the the, the wire out of his arm and drags him around the floor and it just seems to go on forever, just <laughs> dragging him, swinging him from one side to another, and then and then he drags him towards him, and he just pops up in frame next to him. It's a really strange cut, and it always raises a laugh because just the way the way they've staged it, I don't know what it is. And and then that moment where he knocks him over, and we finally get to see how big his shoes are. You know, <laughs> they're massive. <laughs> it heels like that. Uh, Dolph is. <laughs> You know, outside of the acting, Dolph has a couple of martial arts sequences. So in the lobby, when he's taken on like those two or three guys, when he's going to see the one drug dealer, I, I think one of the security guards is actually um, his instructor or sensei. And uh, they have a nice little exchange. But I really wish Dolph Lundgren had done more martial arts films in this time period because the way he moves and seeing his, his physicality on display and what he can do, it's super impressive. Mm -hmm. um, and even these little flashes of martial arts, I, you'll get to see more of it in a, another year or so with uh, showdown in little Tokyo with Brandon Lee. But I really wish there were a few more martial arts sequences between him and Matthias Hughes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that, that was another film that I, I went through a period of when I was making the Chuck Steele short film or just before I embarked on it of rewatching all of these films. And I hadn't had watched a lot of them for, for years. And I real lots of them were just making me smile. They're just making me laugh, you know. And Showdown in Little Tokyo was was one of those. It's so ridiculous from beginning to end, but played straight. And it's just it's just that that fight at the end where he decides to put his costume on the big trousers with the M sixteen and the samurai sword. <laughs> oh god, it's brilliant. <laughs> but you're but you're right, Troy. Like Dolph Lundgren is a big guy, and just to see how athletic he is and in how fluid he moves. Like he moves like Jean-Claude, but he's built more closer to someone like Stallone, not as big as Schwarzenegger, but he's a big guy. And to see him move around like that is impressive. I would have really loved, I know Jean-Claude had brought, you know, a lot of Hong Kong directors over. Um, and I think Jean-Claude works best when somebody understands like his fighting style and how to film that. I would have loved a Hong Kong choreographer or director to come over in the early nineties and utilize Dolph Lundgren that way. Um, well, Dolph was um, champion. Um, it says here he was 
a karate champion, yeah. but also I'm sure he was like an, an athlete as well, wasn't he? Didn't he do? Didn't he compete in in like? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, he Commonwealth Games or something. I, I I'm not sure. I just remember reading something a while back about him being. I know. I know he's a he's very sort of intelligent. He's got lots of. Uh, he's a he's a good. Uh, he's a um, doctor of chemistry or something, isn't he? Uh, yeah, engineer. He's, he chemical engineering a, or something like that. Yeah, he's, he received a degree in chemical engineering from yeah. KTH Royal Institute of Technology in the early 1980s and a master's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Sydney in 82. He holds the rank of fourth Dan Black Belt in uh, Kyukushin Karate and was European champion in 80 to 81. In right. Sydney, he became a bodyguard for Jamaican singer Grace Jones. That's where he begins his relationship with her. Um, he received a Fulbright scholarship to MIT and moved to Boston. Um, Grace Jones convinced him to leave the university and move to New York City to be with her and begin acting. But yeah, I mean, he's the leader of the team team leader of the U.S. Olympic pentathlon team during the 1996 Atlanta Games as well. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you I... should hate this guy for being perfect at everything. But um, my goodness, and he, I mean. He's he looks great. So he does silent trigger and the Olympics in the same year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Makes total sense. Makes total no, no. sense. Um no, I I I love everything he's been putting out. I love all the stuff that he's done. I mean, even when he popped up in Creed 2 in 2018, I thought he was one of the best things about that film. Oh yeah. I mean, he he's giving a performance in Creed 2 as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's such a I think underutilized um, actor, and he's he's got acting chops. He definitely had the physicality. I think he still does. So um, th this movie is just such a reminder. I I think it probably is my favorite Dolph Lundgren film when when all is said and done because it showcases everything that he can do except chemical engineering. I would if they put like five minutes of him doing chemical engineering, I would have been fine. Um, but it, this movie just highlights like how good he is and, uh, why you should seek out a lot of those nineties action films with him in it. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I think that's I mean, this is my favorite as well with his, I mean, Baxley takes three different guys and makes them three different leading men in totally different ways. And they all work. Yeah. Does, has, has Baxley done a, a lot of other films as director, uh, because those are those are the only three I'm I'm aware of. I think. Well, um, he, he continues work, but you got to keep in mind, uh, Action Jackson was a, was a hit, right? But then between the next two, which is I Come in Peace and Stone Cold, those didn't do so well. Now he, he still directs, but he's not getting the budgets and everything. Um, and I I think they were trying to get him to do a sequel to this one with a three million dollar budget. And he just wasn't interested at that point. Mm -hmm. So in the in the mid '90s and beyond, I mean, he's doing a lot of TV films at that point because Stone Cold he goes into Raven, Return of the Black Dragons, Raven TV series, um, a Family Torn Apart TV movie. This it's all you TV know, movies. They, if they tried to make this film now, it would be filled with CGI explosions and uh, non risky stunts, and you know, or not not even realistic stunts, just CGI things happening. Uh, I, 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 that's why, why I'm so bored of a lot of movies. When you see 
a big budget movie use a CGI explosion when they could have easily done a real explosion. I'm like, why? Why? You've got the money. You've got the people. Why would you choose CGI over over reality? Is it just laziness now? <laughs> I'm sure insurance. It's probably an insurance question, right? Probably, so yeah. if they're like, you can blow something up, but you got to carry this much insurance, and then this is what your policy is going to cost. That that would eat up majority of your budget anymore. Yeah, but that, that's that's depressing because you know you can see even with the best will in the world, CGI explosions don't look real. You know, for the on on a lot of big budget films, so something just instantly takes me out of the moment when I see that, and that's why when you look at some of these old films like this one, and you see they're doing crazy stuff for real, and they're they're flipping cars and blowing things up, and you go, well, they did it. They actually did it. Like, this was entertainment back then. They were taking risks and doing. <laughs> crazy stuff and not playing it all safe for the insurance, you know? So I know I'm, I'm making it sound extreme here, but it's like, I do notice it more and more in modern films, just the, the lack of, um, uh, you know, reality with, with, with explosions and gunfire and stuff. I know, and I know safety is an issue, but you know, there's not a lot of, uh, stuff these days that I see. And I think, yeah, this matches the action of those, of those, of that period. Well, it, I, I think a lot of people don't talk about the acting that goes on with an action sequence, right? So it, it, this is why I will always love Jackie Chan, especially from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. So to your point, you were, you were talking about the sequence uh, at the end when things are blowing up and they can feel the heat, right? They're running not just from the explosions, from the heat. I think that environment and that type of filming plays into the actor's ability to react to the mayhem and to the chaos and everything else. And it's missing. It's sorely lacking in a lot of today's films. If you, I'm sure having a, like a, a, a little bit of danger on set, like just a little bit. I don't, I don't know if it's helps. a little bit of danger, but there's well, got to there's got to be something like think about in Hong Kong. You're not Kong. staring at a bunch of tennis balls on a stick. Be like, Ooh, look, it's a monster. You're, yeah, we'll that's it later. It. Exactly. Like how, how can you really act and feel like your life's on the line when you're looking at a tennis ball? Somebody um, should make a horror film where the monster is a tennis ball. On a stick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. But I mean, the, even with a face drawn on it, even the the choreography of a lot of films today, it feels staged. It feels too fluid. It feels like, yes, you've rehearsed this punch and this kick a thousand times. But if you go back and look at um, a lot of the action sequences, even in films like this, et cetera, they're choreographed, but they're a little messy. There's a little bit more realism to them. And yeah. you feel the hits, right? Dolph, I will say this, Chris Hemsworth versus Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren sells a punch, being hit by a punch, way better than Chris Hemworth does. And I really do think it's not that one's a better actor than the other. It really comes down to one is acting in an environment that sells, you know, the danger in that punch versus a green screen tennis ball. Chris Hemsworth may be a great actor. He just can't, him and Chris Evans, all the, you know, those folks, they can't act themselves um, in such a way that you as a viewer go, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I think because a lot of these Marvel films, they, it's a it's a choreographed dance almost to the point of, you know, um, it becomes sort of static because yeah. they they've got to hit the marks. It's all green screen. They're fighting something that's not there sometimes, and it's uh, so you're left with a little bit of 
I don't know, some, something's missing, like you, like you say, but when you look back at the risks that were taken in older films pre-CGI, I think that era, if you consider how movies came, you know, probably originally, if you think of like the circus, you know, before movies, circus was all about risk and, and uh, you know, um, spectacle. And then movies were like that originally as well, where you'd see, you know, the, the train coming and the guy would have to get off the tracks and all of that. So there was risks, you know, people were taking. Obviously, things were, uh, were were cheated with the film and editing and stuff like that, but there was re- uh, something was real there. It wasn't a cartoon. Um, and then we got, went through a period of time with with the movies that we grew up with, where the, the stunts become more and more crazy and look dangerous. And that was the thrill of watching these films that they were doing something risky. And obviously, you you have to be careful because not no film is worth anyone getting injured or killed over. So you have you have to be uh safe when you're doing these things and that's when you had experts like craig baxley you know um experts in their field you know um but we've moved into an era now where those risks aren't being taken so much because they don't need to be because they can do it in cgi and then and then something's got lost there you know i agree i I mean say what you will about tom cruise those mission mission yeah yeah, those mission impossible He's bringing it back, you know. He's yeah. bringing back. Look what I'm doing for the cinema. Look what I'm doing for you guys. I'm jumping <laughs> off cliffs and flying planes, and and it, and people appreciate it, you know. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, sound like old man yelling at the clouds and go, "Give me my movies from the '80s." But <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do think there's there can be a great combination of CGI along with really good um, choreography that sells, but too much reliance on CGI takes away from that element of being able to act in the moment. And I think that's why a lot of these CGI films and whatnot, you kind of look at it and go, it looks pretty, it looks kind of cool, but I don't feel the danger. And I think that's because they're, the CGI is taking away that actor's ability to really kind of um, just sell it, right? And yeah. they're, they're too concerned about the mark. Where's the camera gonna be? Where's the tennis ball gotta be? They're, they're thinking about that versus acting like they're that character in that moment yeah i guess it must be quite difficult for them sometimes as well to put themselves in that headspace and they they have to some of them are probably more comfortable with it than others and you know yeah. um but yeah it, it, it everything moves along and things change i know but i just think there's a line where if you can blow something up for real blow it up for real <laughs> <laughs> hey chris uh christopher nolan's trying to so yeah, I, well, I miss the days like Demolition Man. I think uh, out in the area, the very first building explosion was they're they're doing some construct or deconstruction in Louisville um, because the beginning of that Demolition Man, that building is something that was going to get tore down. So they're like, "Hey, can we borrow that for a second for the sequence?" And then blew the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. But again, it looks fantastic. Like CGI could not replicate what they did at the beginning of Demolition Man to that building. It's fantastic. No. no. Oh, I have one more comment. Okay. And I found this very concerning for the white boys in their business model. Uh Oh, so he says, um, that it's been a rough few days, uh, because of the drug, uh, problem that they've had, that their drugs have been stolen from the aliens. Then he says all of a sudden that they're because of that, they're having a cash flow problem to me, someone, you know, who looks at a lot of this stuff rough few days and then all of a sudden your cash flow is starting to dry up you're not running that business very well oh, i think so. they needed to figure sounds that like out the, uh it sounds like the u.s government right now 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like a rough few days and like, oh, we're having this major cash flow problem. Like, buddy. I love they try to put that in there. I, I, I was telling Tabitha when we were watching this, they, you know, Dolph Lundgren breaks into the C-suite, right? So you got all these executives and he's like, put your guns on the table. And every executive is just packing heat and puts a gun out there. I told her I would love to go to work someday and be like, hey, guys, could we just put our guns on the table? Can we put our guns on the table, please? Have everybody in some executive conference room do that. I I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Did, did this come out the, around the same time as Alien Nation? Because that was about drugs and aliens as well, wasn't it? Ooh. Oh, that's a uh, good question. Um, yeah. That was a 90s film, wasn't it? 91, maybe. Two. Jimmy Jimmy Kahn, right? Yeah. And maybe Has anyone seen Bad Day on the Block AKA under pressure. It's Charlie Sheen and Craig R. Baxley. It's like a firefighter movie. Oh, I might uh, have to try to figure that out. It looks like it's direct to video, but I might have to try to find that. No, I've not seen that. Okay. No, uh, alienation was 88. So it preceded this one. <laughs> All right. Nice. Well, what other thoughts do you guys have on this one? I, I it was such a fun revisit for me and I, I was super, I was super excited. Uh, my friend brought uh, his daughter over. So she's in middle school to watch this and uh she made the comment why why are you guys talking about this i thought you guys talked about movies that like sucked or were bond this movie didn't suck at all and i'm like awesome there there is potential for our future generations to be awesome i think when kids and young people see some of the movies from the 80s they are genuinely surprised because they there's something to them that's more tangible more more real and and they do they, they don't always think they suck you know they so a lot of the times they, they 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 like them but they just don't have the opportunity to see them or don't chase them out don't look for them you know so unless you force them to watch something <laughs> it's, uh, no she's awesome right? next she loved it i mean she's she's got that curious personality where um i mean you have kids you you end up trying to program them to your taste and everything so i've i've shown my kids Gladly, my kids love Big Trouble in Little China. They love the stuff from the 80s. But it was nice to have uh, somebody outside of the family, a middle-ager, come through, watch the film with us and go, wow, that, that was a lot of fun. I really like that film. Do you, do you make them pledge allegiance to it every morning? To, um, <laughs> we pray to the Big Trouble poster uh, yeah. weekly. Yeah. In The Last <laughs> Dragon. That's another one. That, uh, oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. We've, we've got that's our that. yearly watches. The Last Dragon is... Um, it's a, such a positive, upbeat film, isn't it? At the end, you just feel happy. <laughs> it's one of the films. If if I'm having a bad day and I'm, I'm I want something to bring me out of it, it might be Last Dragon, Rumble in the Bronx. You know, because there there are just a, a string of action films that are just fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Christmas movies. This this qualifies as a Christmas movie now, right? Yes, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm putting it on the Christmas movie list now as an annual tradition. I think if we if we ever did man, did manage to get a Chuck Steele film going, we'd set that one at Christmas as well, just so we could have arguments about it. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, any other thoughts on this one, Mike, from a filmmaker perspective? Uh, I don't know. I think we probably covered most of it. Um, is it? There's a scene at the beginning with the Christmas trees, isn't there? That's where the uh, that's the probably most Christmassy part of the film. And then there's moments where you just see some decorations and stuff, but still qualifies as a Christmas film, doesn't it? Just well, well he's also playing Christmas music at the beginning. That's yeah, right, he yeah. drives into the he Christmas tree He shoves that lot. CD in that CD player. Like, you don't have to shove CDs into the CD player. Like, it, no, no. I mean, they were new. It was a new, I mean, obviously, CD player was, was new back then, so maybe he didn't know. 
as much. But yeah. man, a seventy thousand dollar car in nineteen ninety—that thing was. I did uh, when he's uh, at the beginning, where he's on a stakeout of Dolph, and he loses a partner as well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All everything's in there. And all, he's got all the cliches, all the all the tropes of that period. That's why I think that's why I like it a lot. Is because it it's put. It's like Chuck. It's got every all the tropes thrown in to a mixer virtually, you know. And, oh, absolutely, uh, and, and it still works as a story somehow. <laughs> well, it's hey, look I, when when we watch this, and the reason why everybody started talking about Chuck Steele again, and we're planning another rewatch because we found somebody who, we're like, oh, we haven't shown that to you yet. Oh, we're going to watch it next weekend. Um, <laughs> after we get done with this, we're like, well, that that's what Chuck Steele did at its best was it took all of the tropes made it its own and it feels very fresh and original the animation style i'm sure adds to that big time but when you take a step back again you can go through and just say well that's this movie that's this movie that's this movie but at the end of the day it's still a chuck Steele movie and so this this one does it i mean you could put chuck Steele in this film and it would work perfectly and you could probably put (laughs) dolph lundgren in chuck Steele's place and it would work too I suppose Chuck is closer to Dolph Lundgren in his look than any other actor. You know, the blonde hair. That's true. The, the, the square jaw, you know. So yeah. Maybe he's a, he's a bigger visual influence than anybody on him. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm still waiting for the Chuck Steele action figures, by the way. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, you so start making those. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, do you have any other I, thoughts on this? I don't. I don't. This is a damn near perfect film. I, I agree. Well, we, we always ask Mike the question, um, is this film a bomb? So I'm going to kick it over to you. We just got done having a great conversation about Baxley's 1990s Dark Angel, a.k.a. I Come in Peace. Is this a bomb? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> agree 100%. What about you, Brad? Where were you leaning on this one? No chance. Not a bomb at all. Agree 100%. So I appreciate Baxley's ability to put together this super fun, tight action films. I mean, those three, uh, if I were doing a film fest, those three would definitely be a part of it. There's no wasted moments, especially in this thing. The stunt work is top notch. I think he gets the most out of everybody's performance. Um, we've already said this for me, it's Lundgren's best film. And folks, if if you haven't bought the Shout Factory Blu-ray, um, if you haven't seen this film, and I'm telling you, do yourself a service and go out and immediately watch it, especially if you love action movies. Because this science fiction film, I mean, it, it it hits all those categories, but through and through, this is an action film at its core, and it, it's a really good one, too. Uh, Mike, how can people who like this film and haven't discovered Chuck Steele yet, where, where do they find Chuck Steele? Um, well... You, if you Google Chuck Steele the movie dot com, I always forget this. Or is it dot co uk? Let me just double check. Talk amongst yourself while I work out how to use the internet. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's, it's Chuck Steele the movie dot co dot uk. So if you go on there, uh, and then the, there's a welcome screen. You can you just uh, click on watch movie, and it'll take you to all the sites in. The English language territories that, that around the world that are that you can rent or buy it on. So in the US, it's on Amazon, it's on Apple TV, uh, iTunes, Microsoft, Google Play, and YouTube. Uh, so whichever one of those you use, um, it's also on Animortal's own player. Which, uh, if if you're so inclined, you can 
we don't we don't share the profits then <laughs> there you go <laughs> but, well and definitely definitely go to the animortal website because you've got all of the chuck Steele artwork poster work mm-hmm. the parody yeah, posters yeah. it's a lot of stuff on there yeah and amazon is the probably the, the most common one on, on there and, and obviously you can get the blu-ray on amazon as well which is region free at the moment so yeah that blu-ray is fantastic be- Please do buy it, and we can hopefully make another another one in in another ten years. <laughs> I can't wait, man. Uh, if you, if you need help, like setting up some Kickstarter crowdfunding, Brad and I will be there to absolutely uh, get Have it you going. Done that? Have you done that before, Kickstarter? And, um, I've only bought things from Kickstarter. I feel, yeah. I feel like I funded a lot of things. Yeah, um, don't know how it works, but I, I yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've been thinking about it because you know the trouble we've had with the film in terms of distribution and getting the money back and all of that sort of stuff, uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff. It might be worth a, a look at some point, um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, we are probably going to put it on to prime, uh, at some point, but it depends on how the sales are going. Um, uh, so we just have to see as that's probably a decision we'll make in a, in a month, a few months, I think. So, Oh, awesome. I know a lot of people don't like actually paying for anything these days. So, so if they've got an Amazon subscription that, you know, they might, um, they, I know a lot of people are just waiting for it to come onto there for free, but if you want to support independent movies, then watch it now before it is. <laughs> oh, I agree hundred percent. This is a great case of if you go back and just research Chuck Steele, especially in terms of any kind of movie list or animated movie list for 2022, you're going to see this title show up and I, I 100% would just encourage anybody go out there and buy it. Like if Brad and I are big physical collectors, so we have the Blu-ray, but I also have bought this thing digitally. Um, and also I bought it digitally for other people at Christmas because Chuck Steele was like the, uh, the Christmas present that kept giving because anytime we didn't know what to get somebody, we're like, well, let's get them a digital copy of Chuck Steele. So, um, and, and they love it. But this is a great example of if you are kind of saying, hey, where's all the independent filmmaking? Where's all the creativity? It's in this. And if you support stuff like this, then more of it get made. And we just have a we have a, you know, a a better film history by having more of this stuff than the Hollywood, Marvel, DC franchise, et cetera. Unless, of course, those studios buy the Chuck Steele franchise and I'm all for that. So, (laughs) Brad, what are we talking about next week? Oh, boy. Oh boy, we we are finally getting there, Troy. We are finally going to the year three thousand, the saga of year three thousand. I'm sorry, oh, no. that is Battlefield Earth. We're yeah. doing it. We're we're talking Battlefield Earth. I, I, I rewatched that about three weeks ago, and it was um, I, I I saw it in the cinema, but and I hadn't seen it since, and for some reason I wanted to rewatch it. There's a coincidence, but. Uh, yeah, no, forgot no. that Force Whitaker is in this movie. There's, wow, yeah, uh, I saw it in the cinema. I I think I just bought the Mill Creek Blu-ray, um, mm-hmm. and this yeah. has come up on a lot of requests from listeners, and we finally decided to tackle it. It's kind of funny if when the dust settles, especially for the first few months of 2023, you're going to see a lot of names and themes pop up. One of those being John Travolta because we kicked off the year talking about staying alive. We're doing Battlefield Earth. Uh, we've got another Dolph Lundgren film coming. Um, 
this is our second Craig Baxley uh, film. We won't do Action Jackson because, unfortunately, that didn't bomb at the theaters. I don't want to say unfortunately. Fortunately, it did great at the theaters, and it actually has a pretty good critical reception. Um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tackle probably one of the most infamous productions releases. Uh, has anybody read the book Battlefield Earth? Uh, no. Okay. No. That's a Ron L. Hubbard book, right? Didn't he write that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Science, Mr. Scientology. We got to be himself. careful about what we say about Scientology because I don't want them coming after us. I don't want like some guy sending out of my in front of my house. That's true. That's true. You know, the only thing we didn't talk about with I Come in Peace is the iconic ending line. And if you're talking about 80s or 90s action films, this one had it. The whole I come in peace, you go in pieces. Pieces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> we just yeah. got to put that there. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but when you get to that sequence, you're going to, you're going to be cheering. <sighs> but yeah, next week so is Battlefield good. Earth. Brad, how do people get a hold of us to um, offer up some more movies that we should be talking about um, that maybe bomb theatrically or critics didn't like? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also head to our website, not a bomb podcast and hit the contact us button. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Troy, I would do want to say thank you for everyone who has responded to not only Breaking Brad episode one, but all of our other previous stuff. Mystery Men has been quite the film for us as well. But uh, yeah, the Breaking Brad experiment uh, seems to be off to a a hell of a start. So I, yeah, it didn't break me. We're, we're still moving forward. I got a feeling the Apple is going to do it next month. Well, what's what, what's breaking bad then you've got to you've got to sit through some stuff you really don't want to watch is it yeah we're trying to see troy and a few of our other friends are trying to pick out films that they know that i'm going to hate and, and find my breaking point so yeah we did ginger dead man for january in february we're doing the apple from 1980 so right you, you have to understand brad has zero tolerance for some films i've been at film festivals with him with the director, cat, everybody, and if Brad doesn't like it in the ten minutes, he'll just get up and walk. <laughs> so, I value my time. We're trying to find at what point of films because he doesn't like musicals. He just he doesn't like trauma films. I, there's a whole list of things Brad doesn't like. So we're gonna we're gonna find that one combination of either content or studio or type of film that just Brad absolutely doesn't want to watch movies anymore as a result of it. <laughs> Gary Busey's Ginger Dead Man didn't do it. Um, I will say it led me to watch Ginger Dead Man two and three, which were kind yeah, of. You've fun. watched all. I think you should finish up with Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Walk, just to say you've done them. Just to see, you got you're right there. You're right. There. You're seventy five percent done. I don't know if I have, can you, do it. have you tried Rock and Roll Nightmare. Oh, that's a oh, yes. Mike. Yeah. Oh, I'm writing that one. Otherwise, otherwise known as Edge of Hell in the UK. Yes. Good. Oh, love it. Yeah, you can send me some recommendations because I know you and I are on the same plane in terms of there's a whole oh, list got, of films. I've got, I've got a whole wall of films that are so bad. You just, you know, but they're, they're the type of films I kind of go to when I want to just laugh at something. But yes, they've, they've got a quality to them, some of them. But I, but I do agree with you. There are some things that I can't watch. Even There are some stuff that's like, it's the stuff that tries to be shit. You know, when, when they try to do... I, I can't I can't watch the sort of um you know these mega shark things and all of that. It's just they they're trying too hard to be bad. I, I want I want films to be bad, but they try to be good. That's when they're entertaining. Yeah. You you want somebody who's out there trying to make the next citizen cane. Yeah, they're doing their best and they're trying, but they don't have the re- the resources or the ability 
and something, but they still create something entertaining in the end. You know? Yeah. There's a sincerity to it. I, I'm yeah, with you a hundred percent. Yeah. No, we're, we've got a list of films that, um, it, a lot of people are liking this concept and contributing some titles that I've never even heard of. And when you go and look at them, you're like, wow, this is going to be as much fun for me as well. Brad's not having a lot of fun, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting a whole list of films that it's like, Oh, I've only heard about this or I didn't even know this existed. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's making movie watching fun again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I can't thank you enough. I know you've got a busy schedule and I know you're also working on a new project too. Um, and just taking a couple of hours and, and talking about Dolph Lundgren to come in peace. I, I hope we can find time in your schedule again to just chat with you. Cause it's just a pleasure, man. You're, you're, you're not just a great director, but you're also a great movie fan. And I, I love coming across somebody who has like your, not just expertise in the craft, but just expertise in, in certain genres. So I can't thanks think for, uh, Thanks for the invite. I've enjoyed it. It's always good to talk about uh, these old movies that don't get appreciated enough. So thanks. Awesome. Well, uh, anything else, Brad? No, I come in peace. There you go. You go in pieces. <laughs> go in pieces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Come back next week when we talk about Battlefield Earth, and we'll catch you then. See you. Don't lose your head.